Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God. Biblical Instructional Program. Today is March 26, uh, 2011. Uh, Happy Shabbat for those who keep the Sabbath. Uh, Shabbat is the more Hebraic way of saying Sabbath. I have a new format for today's program. Uh, we're going to go back, and I hope to, to continue on with uh, going over to the traditional Torah readings that the Jews go over. Um, Yeshua did that, so we're going to do the same thing that he did and try to follow his example. I just got off into a series of Bible studies that I feel that God was leading me to give based on keeping the law, etc., and so forth. And, and in this... Um, new format before I get into the Torah readings. I'm going to talk about any type of world events that are occurring right now that we need to pay attention to. And then uh, if I feel the need to, I'll do a short Bible study on a Christian living uh, issue like uh, marriage problems, etc. And then after that, I will talk about certain, actually we'll go over the Torah readings. And then after that, I'll open the show for any type of uh, questions that you may have. You can call our number, which is uh, the call-in number is 347-945-7525. That's 1-347-945-7525. Please call me after I do the tour readings. I'll let you know, and then at that time you can call if you have any questions or concerns. Now, um, if you call, I'm not going to participate in any arguments or whatever. Uh, if you call in, I hope it's uh, something that uh, is, is a serious um, question that you have or or you need any uh, you need explanation about what I was talking about or whatever. But uh, if, if you have a total disagreement with what God says about an uh, example about... Uh, the fact that he does not desire for men to sleep with men and so forth, that's found in Leviticus. And if you want to argue about that, I, I wish you don't call. You can just go ahead and believe what you want and move on, you know. So, But uh, this is not a show for arguments and uh, for people to uh, try to force their beliefs down people's throats. So that's not what this show is about. This show is about looking at what the Bible says and believing what the Bible says. And if that's what you're about, that this this show is for you. If not, then 
go listen to somebody else that's more entertaining and has a lot of money and so forth, okay? All right, um, as far as the world and what's going on, obviously what Christ talked about is occurring. Uh, If you look at Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 is a simple summary of prophecy. And, you know, God did us a favor by simplifying this whole thing. I'm going to read this in the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is across from the uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age, the age of man trying to rule himself, which man has ultimately failed? Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. In the King James Version it says, uh, Deceive. Deceive means to trick you. And that's the first thing that came out of his mouth, so that should let you know, uh-oh, I really need to be careful about who I'm listening to uh, because he says so here. He says, see that no one leads you astray for many, not a few, many will come in my name. This can mean people saying that he's the Messiah or they can actually say they are Messiah. There's been a few that actually thought they were Messiah. There's some today uh, stupidly think that they're the Messiah. Anyway, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ or the Messiah. Christ means uh, Messiah in Greek. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars, and we have. We've had World War One in the 20th century. We've had World War Two. Then after that, we've had the Korean War. We've had the Vietnamese War or the Vietnam War. And then after that, we had the Gulf War. Gulf War number one in 1991, which involved Saddam Hussein. And then we had the, no- the next Gulf War which I think is called Gulf War II, uh, 2003, and then uh, Shaddam is dead now, uh, based on that. And now we have the Libyan War that's going on as I'm speaking. And you have different types of um, rioting going on in the Middle East uh, because they want to embrace democracy. And it was prophesied for this to occur if we turn to Daniel Daniel chapter 11 and I'm going to read this and I'm going to read to you what Christ said because it goes hand in hand here anyway Daniel chapter 11 starting in verse 40 at the time of the end you might as well put at the time of the 21st century because I don't really see how in the world we're going to last this century. Uh, it's 2011 right now. We're talking about 89 more years. I can't see humanity lasting 89 more years in the state that it's in right now. Uh, we are about to head into the elements of there. And if you look back through history, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 tells you that history repeats itself. If you look back through history, there's always economic problems before a war. And the entire world right now has economic problems. Now, this is what happened in World War II and World War One. Now, in World War Two or World War One, we did not have nuclear bombs. The United States 
was the first to drop a bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki back August 6th of 1945. That began what is called the nuclear bomb generation that Christ talks about in Matthew chapter 24. The scary thing about it is that now, if we have another war, we have more than, I think, seven nations that have nukes. Uh, just between the United States and Russia, we have over 26,000, close to 25,000 nukes that are so much more powerful than the nukes that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki back in August 6th of 1945. So it's almost certain that if we do have another world war along the lines of World War II, that those nukes will be used. And I'm going to show you the Bible indicates that. The Bible indicates that. And I must talk about these things because uh, we are headed to the time of another world war, ladies and gentlemen. It's happening already in the Middle East. The genesis of it is, anyway. And eventually, eventually it's going to happen. And you must prepare for it. You must prepare for it. Um, Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, you might as well put in the 21st century, the king of the south. Now, I don't know who the king is, but I do know what the south, the south area is. It's south of Jerusalem, which includes Egypt and Libya and all the rest of those countries in North Africa. All right? Shall attack him, but the king of the north... So rush upon him. The king of the north today, uh, back then, it involved uh, Iseria. The Iserian kingdom was north of Jerusalem. And Iraq and Iran, that's the area that is talked about uh, back then and, and today. And typically, the United States dominates Iraq. Uh, we have had dealings with Iran uh, and Syria. All right, so that whole area was conquered by the Roman Empire, both areas, back um, in, in, in uh, B.C., before A.D. And I don't know if I explained this to you before, uh, the British Empire, or Britain, was a part of the Roman Empire, so technically, the British Empire, even though, as I've explained many times in this program, they are a part of Israel, but they also are part of Rome, the Roman Empire as well. There's a scripture in Hosea that says, uh, Ephraim is attached to idols, leave her alone. You know, So the idol part is the Roman Empire, basically. And, and uh, from the British Empire came the United States Empire, or America. So America and Britain are brothers, and they're one of the same coin. Now, those two countries were very influential in the formation of NATO. NATO is the North Atlantic Trans, uh, the North Atlantic um, Organization. All right, and the United States. Let me make sure I tell you exactly the right term for this. I don't know why I always forget what the acronym means. Let's see. I better get used to it because they're going to be a major player and. The end times here. Type NATO in Wikipedia. Okay, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. All right, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It is an intergovernmental military alliance based on the North Atlantic Treaty, which was signed April 4th, 1949. The NATO headquarters are in Brussels, Belgium. 
And the organization uh, consists of a system of collective defense whereby its member states agree to mutual defense in response to an attack by any external party. All right? So that's what NATO is, and it consists of, if I can find the individual countries, that that consists of, um, here we go, NATO comprises 28 members, Albania, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, uh, the Czech Republic, the Czech Republic, rather, Denmark, Estonia, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, uh, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Latvia, the Netherlands, Norway, Portland, Portugal, Romania, uh, Slovenia, Slovakia, Spain, Turkey, the United Kingdom, and the United States. So, you have how many North American countries? You have Canada, uh, and you have the United States. And that's all you have as far as North America is concerned. All the rest of them are uh, either uh, in Europe or Turkey is somewhat part of the Middle East. As a matter of fact, they're the only Middle Eastern country that's a part of NATO. So NATO, that's NATO, and that, that area is north of Jerusalem, with the exception of the United Kingdom and the United States, which is in North America, but it's still north. All right. So anyway, I went through all that to explain to you that the, the south area, I don't know who the king is, but the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north, NATO, shall rust upon him like a whirlwind. And this tells you that is NATO because the south, Egypt is uh, the most powerful Arab nation south of Jerusalem, but they don't have the capability to rush upon anyone like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. They don't have many ships. NATO does, though. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. That sounds like a world war. He shall come into the glorious land, that's, that's Jerusalem, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab, and the main part of the Ammonites, which is the Jordan area. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So Egypt is involved in all this. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans, which is in the news right now, and the Cushites, which should be, can be also translated, uh, Ethiopia, shall follow in this train, or they'll uh, actually mimic or copy what he's doing, or they'll fall into line. They'll be ruled by him. But news from the east and north, east and north of Jerusalem, shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. So that's, again, World War. And he shall pitch his tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Now, this is talking about a war that leads to what I'm going to talk about now, the abomination of desolation. Uh, Daniel 12, verse 1. At that time, at what time? The time that he's talking about, the time of this guy going out of his mind and having a world war and dominating and controlling all countries. And then verse 1, uh, Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, uh, shall stand. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. All right? So let's stop there and go back to Matthew chapter 24 to better understand this. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 24, he said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
That's what I just described to you in Daniel. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation. That should be families again. That should be translated families, a mistranslation. And kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Uh, that's literally starvations worldwide, or not having enough monies to provide your needs. And earthquakes in various places, and we're having that right now as I'm speaking. We just had a uh, Japan earthquake. Uh, people argue and can't make up their minds whether it was 8.9, 9.1, but it was still a major earthquake. And we've had that in various places. We just had another earthquake in Asia this past week. So it's a very accurate prophecy. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And in verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's talking about people that follow him. People that follow him are not very well liked. I'm not very well liked. People don't like it because I preach the truth. Nobody wants to hear that hardly. They want to hear smooth things, you know. They want to hear things that that makes them feel good, uh, things that uh, make them feel that it's easy to obey God, which I can tell you is not. Okay, it's a struggle, but you can do it. You can do it. Um, verse eleven. Wait a minute. The first nine. Yeah, they they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away. And betray one another and hate one another. So it's saying that believers, uh, obviously quite a few of them will fall away because they can't take the fact that they have to suffer to be in God's kingdom. So they're going to want to go ahead and uh, take the easy way out, which they think is the easy way out, but it's not. And, it says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So these are believers. They're going to start to hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness, or Hebraically it means Torahlessness, the lack of being taught God's doctrines in the Bible, and, one, and the lack of wanting to obey them, and because lawlessness will be increased. So it tells you a common trait of the 21st century is people just don't want to be preached to. They don't want to hear God's words. They don't care going to be a lot of people in the world and unfortunately in God's assembly that are going to be like this unfortunately and it says because of Torahlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold and as soon as I read that scripture I think about holding an icicle in my hand and that's an analogy of people how they will care about you they're not going to care about you the majority. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's, as I was telling my wife, that's the scripture that proves there's not going to be any rapture. Why would he say that you have to endure to the end to be saved? I mean, that scripture right there tells the whole rapture theory, meaning that I mean, the popular era in this uh, Protestant doctrine of, of preaching that uh, you're going to be rescued and saved before the tribulation. No, you'll be raptured after the tribulation. That is plain. And I did a Bible study on that, and I will in the future. So it says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, verse 15 is talking about the same thing that Daniel 12, verse 1 to 2 is talking about. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by 
the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. And he said that because a lot of people aren't going to understand. Uh, and they need to go to Daniel and understand the structure of the temple to understand. The holy place is the place where the priests prepare to, to give the sacrifices. And then you have a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy of holies has the Ark of the Covenant there, which is a, uh, is a representation of God's throne and the mercy seat. But let those who are in Judea, which is the West Meg today, flee to the mountains. So, if you want to know a specific area that God told us to flee to, if you are fortunate enough to live in the West Bank, in Judea, then Yeshua, or Jesus, tells you to flee to the nearest mountains around there, and the nearest mountains around Judea is Pella. Verse 17. Let no one who is on a housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, and he's talking about these days of day. So based on his words right now and the based on the way things are going, I wouldn't have no babies, but that's up to you. But uh, it's going to be very difficult if you do have babies in this situation right now. Verse 20, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, which proves the Sabbath day was going to be kept today. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not, has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, nor ever shall be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. All right? So hold your place here and turn to Daniel. Again, same phraseology, or similar phraseology. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Verse 1, at that time shall Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, stand. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Michael means who is like God. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation to that time. And then you go back to Matthew 24, and he states, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall be. Same thing. And you notice that in both these situations, both prophets, because Yeshua is the greatest prophet of all time, and in Daniel, both talk about a war occurring before the abomination of desolation. Okay? Uh, before I understood this, I just thought, hey, then we need to look at about no. What we need to do right now is prepare for a world war. That's going to lead to the abomination of desolation. So that's why it's important right now to prepare to prepare for catastrophes. You have to prepare for what's about to go down here. And you, you need to uh, take this very seriously here because things are really getting very difficult for many people today. It's difficult for people to, to work and, and, to, and to make a living. Uh, is is the governments of this world, and particularly in the United States, the uh, system that we're under right now is very oppressive. And and uh, we have to be very frugal or very careful about how we spend money. And we're going to have to be frugal about how we spend our time as well. Uh, it shouldn't be wrapped up in the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. 
Uh, we need to all get close to God, and we need to really use a lot of our time glorifying Him and trying to seek how to please Him and other people. That's what we need to do uh, to give us the greatest chance to be able to to make it in God's kingdom. And if we don't do that, then you know we're, we're really going to be in bad shape. Uh, we're really going to really be in bad shape. So we, we need to really understand that uh, these times are serious, and you know, for every generation, we need to take God serious because um, we all don't know when it'll be our last time uh, to live. We all can die any day, and so we we need to understand that. And we need to take God's words very seriously. And we should not always have to wait for some tragedy to occur to understand that we need to obey Him. And we should want to obey Him. It's like we, we like to look at our favorite television program or our favorite sporting event. Proverbs 23, verse 3 states the following. You don't have to turn here. It says, The prudent sees danger. And it's danger all over the place. And it says, and hides himself. But the simple go on and suffer for it. God doesn't want you, if you're listening to me, he does not want you to be simple-minded. He wants you to prepare for the worst. And, you know, Christ in, 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 in um, Luke chapter 17 states that the days that we're living in today are similar to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. You know what Noah did? What did he do? Did he lay around and say, oh, God, God, save me? No. God came down and told him what he needed to do. He built an ark. And in Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 7, by faith Noah, or by trust, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And, you know, I'm warning you through God's words. And reverence fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. We all need to construct our little Noah's ark to save our household at this time. Don't depend on this government. I think the, the experiences of Katrina shows us that we can't. We have to depend on God, and we have to believe his words and follow the example of his servants, like Noah, since he stated that these times are similar to the days of Noah. So we must follow Noah's example. And it states here, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. This is an example of having faith by preparing your household for the worst. There's nothing wrong with that, considering the fact that Yeshua stated that these times are similar to the days of Noah. So we must remember that. And uh, I've, in various programs, I've listed certain websites, uh, www.beprepared.com. Uh, the website is about being prepared. Uh, www.efoodsdirect. You'll be able to get Vegetarian food, uh, most of it I think is organic food, healthy food to store, 
because once these things go down, folks, you're not going to be able to go to the grocery stores. Uh, your water's not going to work. Your electricity's not going to work. Then what are you going to do? So you have to prepare, and the time to prepare is now, while people are in a panic stage. They're not rushing to the grocery stores right now. Japan, yeah, you know, my wife brought a good point. Those poor folks, over 450, I think it was 450,000 or more, they're not eating, I think they're probably dying, and they're pulling up bodies all over the place. If you don't want that happening to you, you better listen to me. Okay, you better listen to me. And the only reason why you better listen to me because I'm quoting scriptures out of the Bible. And you better get your act together. And you better start preparing. Okay? Um, this beast that right now is in the formation of NATO, actually not only NATO, but also the, um, the quartet. You can look up the quartet. Um, you can look up the quartet in Wikipedia. It consists of the United Nations, the United States, Russia, and the EU, the European Union. That's the quartet. Now, I do know this, that Daniel chapter 7, when it talks about the four beasts, and it must have something to do with the quartet. I can't specifically tell you which ones, although it's a sure bet that that fourth beast has something to do with the United Nations, because the United Nations is the formation of all nations around the world. Okay? But those other three beasts, you guys can roll dice and try to figure out who they are. I mean, that's, you know, but that's not important. The important thing is to understand that the quartet is all the nations of the world. And the quartet, and it's interesting that it's four, because it's four beasts that are talked about in Daniel chapter 7. And many historians think, and let's turn here, Daniel chapter 7. Biblical historians. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 2. The great prophet Daniel here. It says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea. You have some church organizations focus on one beast. You've got to focus on four, folks. Okay? And these beasts, it states right here, and the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Then the first was like a lion and had eagle's, wing, uh, eagle's wings. Then as I looked at his wings, were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on his back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And verse 9, as I looked, Thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fire, it was fiery flames, his wheels like burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. 
Verse 11, And I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And this is interesting in verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So you had the destruction of this fourth beast, and you had three other beasts still existing. Okay? And then in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like the Son of Man, this is the Messiah, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom and power and peoples, nations and languages, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me, which proves again that we do have a spirit, was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made me known the interpretation. Again, God gives the interpretation if he wants us to know of the prophecies. We don't have to do any guessing. Of course, he expects us to use common sense and look at the world today, since this prophecy was closed to Daniel until the time of the end, until the 21st century, the century of knowledge being increasing through the Internet. Anyway, verse 16, I approached one of the, those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things or the understanding of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. Back then, they didn't rise out of the earth. I don't know if these biblical historians understand English or not. Obviously, they don't, or perhaps God, for whatever reason, is blinding them of this understanding. But this scripture plainly states in any English version, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. This is what the angel Gabriel told Daniel back in his time. So how can these four beasts be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome? It can't be, because the, the angel told him that these four beasts shall rise out of the earth. The other ones were identified in Daniel chapter 2. And later on in this book, the book of Daniel. Anyway, verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Verse 19, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the West. And when you look at Revelation chapter 13, let's hold our place here and turn to Revelation chapter 13. The fourth beast is a composite or amalgamation of all the other beasts. That's what it is. That's why it was different than all the rest. Revelation chapter 13. Verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. That's the third beast. And his feet like a bear's, that's the second beast. And his mouth was like a lion's mouth, that's the first beast. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Okay? This, this beast, the fourth beast, is an amalgamation, a, a, a combination 
of all the other beasts that's described in Daniel chapter 7. Revelation and the book of Daniel are linked. You can't understand one without the other. Okay, so back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, and you should understand how different, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with his feet, and about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than his companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them until the ancients of days came, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And this kingdom right now consists of the quartet and NATO. And out of that, it's going to form this beast. And it said, and, and it shall devour the whole earth, trample it down, and break it into pieces. Now, how can a kingdom break the earth into pieces today, folks? Come on, let's let's use a little common sense. Nukes, hydrogen bombs, which we have plenty right now to blow this world ten times over. So this is how this beast. It says the beast. It doesn't say God. It says this beast will devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. Whenever I read that verse, I, I, I envision in my mind a nuclear bomb just blowing up stuff. We're, we're headed for that time, folks. We're headed for that time, okay? And we need to stop thinking that we're not going to use nuclear bombs. It's, it's confirmed here. It's confirmed when we go to Matthew chapter 24. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Unless this world repents, which I don't see it happening anytime soon, this is what's going to happen. We're going to use the, the weapons of mass destruction. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. He's talking about the 21st century, folks. Only in this century do we have the power to eliminate all human life off this earth. Not only does the United States have nukes, you have Russia, they have nukes. Between those two, they have enough nukes to destroy this earth ten times over. But not only them, Israel has nukes, Britain has nukes, France has nukes, uh, North Korea has nukes, India has nukes. Um, that's another country, I think, uh, in close proximity of them that have nukes as well. Uh, it, it's just um, Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan has nukes. Uh, so we have a lot. This is a very dangerous time, folks. It really is. You need to wake up. Uh, whatever you're doing, you need to wake up and listen to me or someone else who knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Bible and get into the Bible and really study it. Study Matthew chapter 24. Study Luke chapter 21. Study Mark chapter 13. Study Daniel chapter 7. Study the, the book of Revelation especially. Start with that. Maybe that will wake you up to reality. That this is the time. And even if it wasn't the time, you need to still get close to God because your own personal great tribulation could happen tomorrow. You can have a heart attack or a stroke. And if you haven't 
gotten right with God, what's going to happen in the, in the throne room? What's going to happen when uh, he calls you and say, hey, um, how come you did this? How come you did that? How come you didn't do this? I mean, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Okay? If if God is having you listen to me now, he wants you to change. It's different if you don't, you're not listening to me. You don't know nothing about the Bible and so forth. But if you're listening to me and if you're understanding what I'm talking about, he's calling out to you and he's saying, hey, he wants you to change. He wants you to stop living the kind of life you're living. But it's all up to you. So anyway, that's my little talk today on world events and my little short Bible study. Now let's get into the Torah readings, as I promised, with the remaining uh, how many minutes I have here? 49 minus 30, 19 minutes. The Parsha, that's what Jews call the Torah readings. The Parsha is uh, uh, Shemini, and this is by Chabad. I must give credit when it's due, or else they'll get angry at me. Um, this is a short synopsis here of uh, Shemini, Leviticus chapter 9, starting in verse 1 to Leviticus 11, verse 47. It says, On the eighth day following the seven days of inauguration, Aaron and his sons began to officiate as Kohenim, which is Hebrew for priests. A fire issues forth from God to consume the offerings on the altar, and a divine presence comes to dwell in the sanctuary. The divine presence is the Shekinah glory of God. Aaron's two elder sons, Nadav and Abihu, offer a strange fire before God, which he commanded them not. And the title of this Bible study is Learning How to Do Exactly What You're Told. Well, they didn't, and look what happened to them. They died before God. Aaron is silent in face of his tragedy. Moses and Aaron subsequently disagree as to a point of law regarding the offerings but Moses concedes to Aaron, and Aaron is in the right. So this is an example of being able to work things out, and this is a skill that husbands and wives need to master. God commands the kosher laws, which I know traditional Christianity thinks, oh, we can eat anything we want, shellfish, pork, ants. They have chocolate-covered ants. Real good for you. Well, not according to what God says. God commands the kosher laws, identifying the animal species permissible, and forbidden for consumption. Land animals may be eaten only if they have split hooves and also chew their cut. Fish must have fins and scales. A list of non-kosher birds is given, and the kosher means what's acceptable. Okay, uh, And a list of kosher insects, four types of locusts. Also in Shemini are some of the laws of ritual purity. And kosher can also mean what's proper. Um, the laws of ritual purity, including the purifying power of the mikvah. That's the mikvah is where we get baptism today from. The mikvah is was a bath that was constructed by the nation of Israel um, to be immersed, and the immersion symbolizes getting cleansing yourself of sin and and desiring to want to change your life to be a commandment obedient. Person. Anyway, also in Shemini are some of the laws of ritual purity, including the purifying power of mikvah, a pool of water meeting specified qualifications, and a wellspring. Thus, the people of Israel are enjoined to differentiate between the impure and the pure, as I just stated. 
So that's what Leviticus chapter 9 through Leviticus 11 verse 47 is about. And, you know, if I if I didn't go into <laughs> I got into too much talking about prophecy, I would have uh, actually read it, but uh, didn't have time to do it. And then the Shemini Haftor section, which is the prophet section. Second um, Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 to 19. And it states here, this week's Haftor mentions how Uzzah was struck dead when he disrespectfully touched the Ark of the Covenant. Here we go again and about doing exactly what you're told. When your boss tells you to do something, you need to do exactly what you're told. And God is definitely all of our boss, bosses. And, and if he tells us to do something and we don't do it, we're lucky to still be alive uh, because he doesn't play. All right? And it states here that Uzzah was struck dead when he disrespectfully touched the Ark of the Covenant, reminiscent of Nadab and Abihu's death described in this week's Torah reading. So obviously this individual didn't learn his lesson from what these two people did. The Holy Ark had been in storage in the house of Abinadab many, for many years, ever since the destruction of the tabernacle in uh, Shiloh. Recently crowned King David decided to move the Ark to the new capital, Jerusalem. He had the ark placed on a cart, and it was transported amidst singing and dancing. When the procession reached Gorin Nakan, the oxen, misstepped, and Uzzah, Abedinov's son, took hold of the ark to steady it, whereupon he was instantly killed. Now it says in the footnote here, Uzzah forgot that the ark carried his carriers. When the Levites would carry the ark, they would be lifted in the air and were literally carried by the ark. If it carried his carriers, it could certainly carry itself. So that's pretty interesting there. That's the reason why we need to get into um, the Jews and what they say. Um, Jesus Christ stated in, in, in John chapter 4 that salvation is of the Jews. He wouldn't have said that unless the majority of their teachings were correct. Uh, some aren't correct, but for him to endorse Judaism like that, we need to study it. All right? And I never, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that they would be lifted in the air and would literally care about the ark. But that's what was going on. Okay. Um, David was devastated, and he temporarily placed the ark in the home of Edom, the Edomite, where it remained for three months. And it says here, and it was told to King David, saying, God has blessed the house of Edim and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. And David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Edim into the city of David with joy. The ark was brought up to the city of David with great singing and dancing. David then blessed and distributed presents to all the assembled Israelites. And there's an example in the Bible when Moses didn't do what he was supposed to do. Okay, and because of that, God told him that you cannot enter into the promised land. But in his great mercy and love, he allowed him to see it. But he couldn't, you know, live with the people as he desired. And Moses deserved that because if anybody knew the Lord and knew better was him. I mean, he actually sat and talked and ate with God, basically, okay? And for him to do that, he knew better. So he deserved that punishment. And um, But the good news is that Moses knows he's in the kingdom. You know, he knew it. So uh, he's in a better situation than most of us. <laughs> so so uh, I don't feel sorry for Moses at all. And uh, what what he's going to receive is, is more than a million promised lands. You know, he's going to be immortal and have a spirit body. And he'll, of course, with his uh, 
vast understanding of uh, the Torah and will be given great responsibility in the kingdom of God. Okay, so we're going to look at also a New Testament scripture, Mark chapter 7. So we must remember to do as we're told, folks. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Oh, this is an interesting chapter. About tradition. Anyone ever saw Fiddle on the Roof? Tradition, tradition, tradition. It's our tradition. <laughs> anyway, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him and, and with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples are ate with their hands. Wait a minute. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled or they were dirty, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees, who are the modern rabbis of today, and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. So this is nowhere in the Bible where it says you must wash your hands. To eat, I don't see it anywhere. Period. Okay, that's the tradition of the elders, or what is known today, the Talmud, which originally was the oral law. The oral law was what is what exactly what I'm saying. It was an oral law. It was transmitted orally, but during um, 200, I think around 250 or 230 BC, I mean AD rather, um, Hillel um, had. Uh, I don't know if it was Hillel or not, but it was another Jewish uh, scribe. He, he knew that it was necessary to, to, to put the oral traditions in a book called the Mishnah because they were being uh, dispersed. The, the diaspora was beginning at that time. And, of course, if a group of people who have kept a tradition for so long is scattered, they're going to lose that tradition. So they decided to put this into a book called the Mishnah. Now, a lot of the traditions in the Mishnah are okay. There are some, however, that are not. Okay? The conflict that Yeshua had with the Pharisees was with their traditions. Some of their traditions were not according to God's law. That was the conflict. And if you don't understand that, you're going to think that he broke the Sabbath, that he broke some other commandments. He didn't break the Sabbath the way it's taught in the Bible on how to keep. However, he broke their tradition on how you keep the Sabbath. That's what he broke. Okay? Um, it says right here, for the Pharisees, in verse 3 of Mark 7, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions, the oral law, the Mishnah, the Talmud today, that they observe, such as the washing of the cups and, and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders or the oral law, the mission of the Talmud today, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You know what a hypocrite is. They tell you to do something, they don't do it themselves. Um, verse 6, And he said to them, Well, did this people honor me with their lips? but their heart is far from me. So, you know, God, he's, he's not in favor of lip service first. He wants action. Okay? And verse 7, In vain 
In other words, in worthlessness, do they worship me? Worship means to pay attention to somebody, to really admire them. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And that's what, unfortunately, a significant part of the uh, oral law is. It's the, do- it's the doctrines of, of the commandments of men. Uh, matter of fact, all of it is, but some of it is in line. A lot of it, matter of fact, is in line with the Bible. A significant amount of it isn't. And that's what he had a problem with. That's what was nailed to the cross. Not the, the, the law of God in the Bible, but the law of the Pharisees, the, the oral law that was not in line with the law of God. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition. And that's what he came to get rid of. <laughs> the traditions that were against God. Verse 9, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." And this is not just in Judaism, it's also in other religions. Me and my wife left the church, they got a tradition of this man that they think is the Elijah. You know, they think this is this man traveled around the world and and so forth and in his little nice jet. You, you perhaps may know who I'm talking about, okay? And they and they actually believe this one church that actually believes that this guy was Elijah. The end time Elijah. And his life does not reflect that. And his character does not reflect that. And yet these folks believe that. That's a tradition that makes the law of God of none effect. Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me as Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So he's saying many things that they do. So obviously there's a, a significant amount of things in the oral law that he didn't agree with and still doesn't agree with today. All right, so that that's very important to understand there. And then in verse 14, And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And right away when people read this, they're actually thinking that Christ said, hey, the the food laws are done away with. He didn't say that. If you look at the context here, he's talking about the defilement of your mind. Okay? So let's, let's continue on reading this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile or destroy him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people... His disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters into his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And this was added. This was not inspired scripture where it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. So I'm not going to read the rest of that. But in verse 20, and he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. That's not even in the King James Version, that phrase. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. This is the interpretation, not what you want, but what he wants. This is the interpretation. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within 
and defile a person. So he's talking about your behavior. He's not talking about the fact that if you eat something that it won't defile you when he said it would. Okay? So that's that's what he's talking about there. All right, so there's 34 minutes left if anyone wants to call. The number is 1347-945-7525. That's uh 347-945-7525. Um you're welcome to call. If no one calls, and I'll continue on and talk about some more prophecy here. Oh, okay, my wife wants wants me to, to talk about, she uh, ran across um, a minister, a so-called minister, that uh, saying that the Bible was written by white people and all that, and uh, and you shouldn't believe it because of that and so forth. I've heard that story before, but, you know, there's scriptures in the Bible that tells you that to love your neighbor as yourself and that you should love the stranger. All right, and and the fact that Moses married a black woman that's that's pretty much understood by everybody, and and obviously Joseph married an Egyptian. All right, so uh, no prejudiced white person would have anything like that in the Bible. And so the Bible is also against treating your slave uh, the wrong way. Um, what happened during the time of slavery in this country for blacks was wrong, according to the Bible. So a minister that's, that's talking like that, you have to check into the Bible yourself to find out whether or not um, that they're talking. See, a lot of these, look, a lot of these folks um, are in ministry to make money. I'm telling you the truth. They, they're, they're, they're in it to make money. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that, that states that uh, you should live by the gospel. It doesn't say get rich by the gospel. Okay, it's a difference between living by the gospel and being rich by the gospel. Uh, too many ministers in this country get rich by the gospel. All right, and that's not what it's about. If you study Paul, and Paul stated that for you to follow him because he's following Christ, he worked. I don't hardly hear that preached by anyone. You know why? Because they want to make money off of you. Their intent is to make money off of you. In Micah chapter 3, one of the prophets. That's not my intent. I'm just talking to you. This is a charitable contribution. I, I out of my own money, pay for Blog Talk Radio. Because I understand that I must give, and I must do what I can to reach people. And this is the best way I can do it, is to reach, reach people over the Internet. And just like Paul, I work for a living. Um, I think it's a great hypocrisy for someone who's supposed to be a, a teacher of God to tell someone else to work, and they don't work themselves. <laughs> so so I work. I work six days a week. And just like Yeshua and the apostles, and I'm sure they worked. I know the apostles worked, and I just can't believe that Yeshua didn't work either. Okay, uh, He probably didn't work as much as he got into his ministry, but he worked. He was a carpenter. Matter of fact, there's a scripture that describes him uh, being a carpenter in the context of him preaching in a synagogue. So obviously he must have still, he was doing some um, carpentry work at that time. 
because he understood and still understands that God commands us to work six days a week. Uh, the Jews believe and, and believe in the first century. The rabbis uh, believe that uh, religious studies should be combined with uh, a secular occupation because if, it, if it's not combined with a secular op- occupation, then uh, the kind of life that that scholar, the biblical scholar, is living is not fruitful. And you know that 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 can be proven when you look at the at, at the writings. And um, something that uh, I turn the mic here. I almost forgot what I was going to do here. Micah chapter three. Micah chapter, I, you know, I wrote an article on tithes and offerings, not to encourage people to give to me, but to encourage people to give to other people um, and, and to understand how to give. So I encourage you to read that, and, and, and please understand I'm not expecting you to give me anything. God has taken care of me, so he's definitely taking care of me. So uh, I don't need anything, but other people I know do that, that are teaching, and there's other people out there that need help, and, you, and I hope the article will encourage you to help other people. So anyway, Mike, Micah chapter 3, Micah, Micah chapter 3, verse 11. This is a prophecy. Now remember that the church is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So you must take this serious. Micah chapter 3, verse 11. It's head to give judgment for a bribe. It's priests teach for a price. And you know who priests are today, right? Its prophets practice divination for money. You have all these uh, prophets. Uh, there's one that thinks he's a prophet. of Every prophetic book is talking about him. And he was real sneaky about it. His organization, they publish a magazine, and they offer everything else free. But once they get you in their church, they devour your resources, basically, and tell you you need to tie off your gross income, even if you're struggling, even if you're a minority, even if uh, things are very difficult for you, that's not godly, because the scriptures state plainly. And uh, was it First Timothy? Let's turn there. First Timothy. First Timothy. If I can find it here. I know it's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Oh, here we go. Yeah. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? Now, we know that an unbeliever is someone that doesn't even obey the, the, the laws of God. So God is saying that if you don't take care of your own, your household, your bills, your expenses, you're worse than an unbeliever. An unbeliever doesn't even tithe. And he's saying you worse than that individual that doesn't keep the commandments of God. So God considers taking care of your own and taking care of your family more important than giving contributions to a ministry. I didn't hear our minister tell us preach that, did he? No, because they want that money, see? And that's not what ministry is about. Unfortunately, ministry today is a combination of capitalism and religion. And Matthew chapter 6, let's turn there.
And this is what they're trying to do today, ministers, or so-called ministers. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's what ministry is today. It's a combination of God and money. You can't do both. Uh, Romans 16, verse 17, which a notorious church uses to excommunicate someone when really every time they each time they read this they're excommunicating themselves. Romans chapter sixteen. Romans sixteen verse seventeen. And this it's amazing when they kick out people. Sometimes they have a reason to do it, but a lot of times it's not. Romans sixteen verse seventeen, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. <laughs> or, in the King James Version, it says their own bellies. And a lot of them do have fat bellies. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the knaves. All right, so these folks, you, you can tell by the appearance. Now, I'm not saying it all... Ministers that have fat bellies typically are false ministers, but unfortunately a lot of them are, okay? And a lot of them are asking you for money. Usually when I, I, when I go to a website and I look at the ministry and I check and see what the person looks like, almost in every case, aren't they big and fat, Sheree? <laughs> a lot of them are big and fat, you know, and, and how do you get big and fat? <laughs> and how do you overeat? Because of the money. You get that money and you just eat, 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 you know, and, and, and that's and that's how it goes, you know, with ministry. And, and it's, it's unfortunate, but um, that's the way it is. And, see, my ministry is not about that. You know, I'm about giving, and that's all I ever will be about. You'll never ask, you hear me, Asking constantly, over and over and over again, uh, for money, because that's not what it's about. And if you are obeying God properly, He's going to provide you with all you need anyway. So it's not really an important thing to um, ask people over and over and over again for money. And in Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9, in the Bible and Basic English version, it states. I have made requests to you for two things. Do not keep them from me before my death. Put far from me all false and foolish things. Do not give me great wealth or let me be in need, but give me only enough food. That, sh that should be a tour um, teacher's desire, or anyone's for that matter. Just give me only enough food, and that's my desire. For, for fear that I, if I am full, I may be false to you and say, who is the Lord? Or if I am poor, I may become a thief, using the name of my God wrongly. So we should have an equilibrium in terms of socioeconomics. We should desire not to be rich, and we should desire not to be poor. And then poor, in this particular scripture, is referring to someone that uh, does not have the basic necessities of life. 
And then in 1 Timothy 6, verse 68, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, Now true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. All right, so we all must learn to be content with what we already have, for we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and clothing, food and clothing, we will be satisfied with these. And unfortunately, I can tell you that most people aren't satisfied with just food and clothing. They want more, more, and more, more, more. And that's not what it's about, to have more, more, more. Okay? And a true minister of God, and this is in the, the King James Version here, Second Corinthians 6, 4 to 10, it says, But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, yes, we have needs, in distresses, well, certainly we have distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in torments, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Is this described the United States minister of today? Of course not. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love, unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, and yet true. So, the true ministers of God are, they are um, falsely accused of being deceivers, yet they are true. As unknown, yet well known, I'm not known by hardly anyone, other than God, I guess, and a few other people. Um, as dying, and, and behold, we live, as ch um, chastened, and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. In other words, the true servant of God is not a wealthy person. As having nothing and yet possessing all things, uh, a true servant of God also doesn't have great assets or great possessions. And this is a description of a true servant of God. And if you match this description with uh, these popular ministers in this country, they will not fit this description. I wonder why. And in Acts 20, verse 33 to 34, I have coveted no man, this is Paul talking, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessity, so he worked. Now, let me ask you a question. How come Bishop Jake and all the rest of these ministers are so popular? How come they're not working? Huh? You know, they consider work just preaching all day. I mean, that's not, that's not work to God. It certainly wasn't work to Paul. He said, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them... That were with me. So not only did he help himself, he also helped other people. That's true ministry, folks. That's true ministry. Now, in Second Thessalonians 3, verse 7 to 10, it's a scripture you probably hardly ever hear of, but it says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. I'm going to be very clear about this scripture. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave, or we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, but walked with labor and travail. Let me read this in, the, in, the, uh, in a better version than this for clarity's sake, because this is a very important scripture for you to, to understand. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. I'm going to read this in the easy-to-read version. You yourselves know that you should live like we do. Very clear there. We were not lazy when we were with you. 
We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. Does that sound like a minister of today, folks? Huh? Let's be real, okay? Now, this is in your Bible. We worked and worked. They worked and worked so that we would not be a burden to any of you. I don't want to be a burden to you. That's why I work, and that's why I don't be begging you for no contributions. I'm following Paul's example. And Paul stated to follow him because he follows Christ. Obviously, Christ had the same attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And he states here, he says, we worked and worked so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We worked night and day. They worked night and day. Verse 9, we had the right to ask you to help us, just like I have, but we worked to take care of ourselves so that we would not, so we would be an example for you to follow. Do you understand what that means? They understood the Shabbat law. You must work six days a week. Six days a week and rest. Okay? Obviously, Paul did a lot of his preaching on a Shabbat. But he worked six days a week, night and day. And really, I'm starting to understand that obviously Yeshua must have did that as well. Because if you look at the scripture, let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Now, I know I'm going to get persecuted for this, but this is in the Bible. So you're going to persecute God, because all I'm telling you is what's in the Bible. In Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, something he normally did, he went to the synagogue on a Shabbat, and he stood up to read. Okay? So that's something that he did on a consistent basis. And I think there's another scripture that says that he regularly did this. It's even more clear. Let's see if I can find it here. Let's see. Yeah, Luke 4, verse 13 says he began to teach in the synagogues. I'll find it. I know it's somewhere. I'll just find it and, and quote it some other time. But this is something that him and Paul and all the rest of the apostles did. They did a lot of their preaching on the Shabbat. They did it on, on the Sabbath. And, and it appears that they worked six days a week. So where did the concept of having a minister, uh, you know, having a little office, looking cute, just studying the Bible all day, every day, where did that come into play as being work? I mean, really. I mean, that flies in, in the light of what Jews have stated um, a Torah teacher should do. And in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 to 13, how much time I have left here? Uh, I have 14 minutes left. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 to 13, it says, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last. So right here he's telling you this is about the apostles. As it were appointed to death, for we made a spectacle, we were made a spectacle into the world, and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. 
But you are wise in Christ, we are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even until this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, that's a Jewish idiom, the, the fact that they had a job. Okay, So the apostles had jobs. Christ is, is called an apostle in the book of Hebrews. Okay, Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer for it. Being the defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring off of all things until this day. So that's a description of an apostle. And then you have people today looking cute with a suit saying, I'm an apostle. They don't fit the description, do they? They don't fit the description. So, you know, that's important to understand. And let me let me give you some quotes, too. Um, as I mentioned, Jewish tradition teaches that a rabbi should have a secular trade and work. This Jewish tradition is in harmony with the scriptures. So this is from Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Alfred um, Edersham on page 175. It says, fair is the study of the law, if accompanied by worldly occupation. To engage in them both is to keep away sin, while study which is not combined with work must in the end be interrupted and only brings sin with it. And, you know, I, I do hear these stories of these ministers uh, becoming gay and all kinds of... And I see so many ministers that are big and fat. This is true, all right? And, and uh, Edersham, on page 174, it says, The great Hillel was a woodcutter. This is a rabbi. His rival, Shammai, a carpenter, and among the celebrated rabbis of after times, we find shoemakers, tailors, carpenters, sandal makers, smiths, potters, builders, etc. In short every variety of trade, nor were they ashamed of their manual labor, which many people are ashamed of today. Uh, in Edersheim, page 173, for in point of fact, with few exceptions, all the leading rabbinical authorities were working at some trade, and I would have to say Yeshua also, because let's look at Mark chapter 6, verses 2 to 3, for proof of this. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him was astonished, saying, From whence have this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty words are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? He was called a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Because they said, hey, isn't he a carpenter? How can he have this great ability to teach the law? Folks, obviously he was still a carpenter. Okay? And he's, he was a carpenter in the context of him teaching. And he was identified as a carpenter while he was preaching. And, you know, there's no scriptural evidence that Yeshua immediately, or Jesus, immediately stopped being a carpenter when he began his ministry. So that is the truth. That is the truth. So, you know, it, it, it's just something, you know, when you study the Bible and you, you, you really understand what the real intent 
of ministry here in the United States and, and unfortunately worldwide is. I'm not saying that ministers should not be supported, but what they should be asking you for is basic necessities. And they shouldn't get to the point where they're filthy rich, like a lot of these ministries are in this country. And they should be working. They should be working. They should have the desire that Paul has or had in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18 and 19. It says, What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And this is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 18 and 19. And I don't know if any minister has that attitude. It may it may be out there somewhere, but uh, I don't know. I don't know where it's at. So uh, this is a situation that, that's uh, serious. And if there's any ministers that are listening, I, I just hope that you understand that God doesn't want you making a profit off his words. He doesn't want you to do that. So, you know, that, that that's important to understand. And I just hope that you change for those who are just uh, unknowingly ripping people off and, and making themselves rich and fat, fat belly, <laughs> and feeding their bellies. So that's not what ministry is all about, to feed your belly. There's a prophecy, too, if I can remember it. It's in, I think, in Ezekiel somewhere, where it talks about um, ministers doing what they're doing and, and not preaching like they're supposed to. I think it's in Jeremiah 23. Um, I think it's another, yeah, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. There we go. Yeah, Ezekiel 34 says, let me read this in easy reversion. Ezekiel 34, verse 2. How many more minutes do I have here? Uh, seven minutes. It says, Son of man, speak against the shepherds of Israel for me, and the shepherds of Israel today are the rabbis of the day. And also, and if you understand, I've been telling this each and every program, but um, the tribes of Israel, there, there were 12 tribes. The one that most people identify with today is the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Judah consists of the Jews. All the, the, the tribes are described in Genesis chapter 49 and also in Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's uh, chapter 33 or 32, they're described. And as I've explained many times in this program, the ten tribes of Israel that were separated from Isaiah, uh, by Isaiah taking them away from the land of, uh, of uh, Israel back in that time, uh, the United States and Britain and Canada and New Zealand, uh, South Africa, uh, countries in Northwestern Europe, they consist of the rest of those tribes. So when you see the shepherds of Israel, it's not just talking about Judah or the Jews. It's also talking about the shepherds or those who uh, are ministers as well. It says, speak to them for me. Tell them that this is what the Lord of God says. And remember, this is a prophecy, future history. You shepherds of Israel have only been feeding yourselves, okay? It would be very bad for you. Why don't you, you shepherds feed the flock? So instead of feeding themselves, God wants 
the ministers to, as Paul did, he fed himself and also fed other people. He wants true ministers of God to care not only for themselves, but other people. That's what he wants us to do. Verse 3, you eat the fat sheep and use their wool to make clothes for yourselves. You kill the fat sheep, but you don't feed the flock. You have not made the weak strong. You have not cared for the sick sheep. You have not put bandages on the sheep that were hurt. Some of the sheep wandered away, and you did not go get them and bring them back. Nor did you not go to look for the lost sheep. No, you were cruel and severe, and that's the way you tried to lead the sheep. You know, and so it talks about to the point of where he, had, God Himself, had to come and find His own sheep, and that's what He's doing today. That's what He's doing today, because ministry as a whole, even among Jews, have failed miserably. That failed miserably. There's very few true servants of God that truly care about the people. When it really comes right down to it, a lot of them just care about themselves and and how much money they're making, and how many people they can convince to, to pay them money. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, in an easy-to-read version, states and commands ministers of God to take care of the group of people you are responsible for. They are God's flock. Watch over that flock because you want to, not because you are forced to do it. That is how God wants it. Do it because you are happy to serve, not because you want money. And that's the problem that was back in the first century, and unfortunately that's a problem that uh, a lot of ministries uh, have today. Uh, the purpose, uh, of course they're not going to tell you up front, but uh, the purpose of their ministry is to make money off of you. To make money off of you, not because they care about you. They care about how much money you can give them. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but that's true. That's true, and that's something that you have to be aware of. So, that's the answer to your question. <laughs> okay, all right. And I'm trying to find this other scripture here, if I can find it here, uh, in reference to uh, the problem that a lot of ministers have. I think it's in Philippians somewhere. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Uh, let's see. Hmm, okay. Anyway, I think I've showed you enough scriptures about how God feels about um, ministers and how they request money over and over and over again and trick the people and and, and convince them to to worship them and, and to depend on them so much when it comes to the scriptures. All right. You have, yeah, you have to prove everything that that God states in his word. Uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, prove all things. And then uh, do what the um, Thessalonians did, if I can find that scripture here. Um, that's in Thessalonians somewhere, I think. Where they um, prove, they prove, yeah, the Berenians, rather. They proved uh, everything that was said. 
Here we go, I think. Let's see if I can find the scripture here. It's in Acts chapter 17. I had the chapter. I forgot what the scripture was. It says, right, Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It states this. It says, These were no noble, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Okay, and in verse 10, the, the, the backdrop here is, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming went into the synagogues of the Jews. When when you whoever you see went into the synagogue, they're talking about them going in and teaching the word of God. Okay? And they did that on the Shabbat. Verse eleven. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. Whether those things were so. And it, and then because of this, in verse twelve it states Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and and of men, not a few. So that's how you believe. You have to go and prove whether those things are so. And you should be taught by the Holy Spirit, Yeshua, uh, His Spirit, teaching you. And usually that Holy Spirit leads you to someone who's either a Jew that believes in Messiah or someone that's been taught by a Jew that believes in Messiah. And then that's how you really start to understand and learn the Word of God. Right, you have to verify. Right, right. The Word of God is true, and you just can't just believe everybody. But anyway, we only, we got 30 seconds left. I have to leave. Um, God willing, I'll be available next week. And may God bless and keep you, and I'll have, I'll have the specific scriptures we're going to go over next week on the uh, description of the next program. You take care, and may God bless and keep you. Malachi chapter 4 for behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.